It's great to be with you guys. Everybody can exhale because 2020 is over and 2021 is here. Um, we, uh, we're going to start out the year with a bang. We are going to do something that we never do. Um, normally you come to church and, and you know, we, we sing and, and then we have a sermon by one of us, but we are outsourcing our sermon this morning to probably the best preacher out there. So here's the story. About four years ago, um, we, the pastoral staff uh, and uh, the One Hope core team of Lane County went to New York City and there was a big conference called Movement Day. And there's a whole bunch of leadership teams uh, from cities all over the world. Like there were thousands of people uh, and uh, when we were there, we were really inspired, and it was a seminal time for us to, to solidify uh, what we felt our calling was in the city. And as you guys who have been around us know, uh, we believe in being involved in our city and in our county and in our community. Uh, and uh, th this sort of, just, it just solidified some things for us and, and gave us fresh vision and fresh language. And I think without a doubt, all of our favorite, uh, uh, our favorite moment was this sermon by uh, uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And he's really one of the architects of city reaching ministry, the modern sort of uh, uh, gospel, uh, city gospel movement uh, that, that we're a part of. And uh, yesterday, the pastoral staff and the elders met for a day of prayer uh, for 2021. And we watched this, because I hadn't seen it since we saw it live, and we were really inspired, and we decided, you know what, I feel like the entire congregation needs to hear this. Um, so it, it is, it, it's, it's a wonderful word, and I just want to ask you guys to, to, uh, uh, to just open your hearts and receive whatever the Lord has for us. Uh, you'll have no problem, I think, being engaged. Uh, normally, we don't come in and watch a video, I know, on a Sunday, but this uh, is worth it, and he's a, he's a passionate, powerful speaker, and I never want to preach again after I see him. I'm like, I'm done. Forget it. Um, so uh, I just want to, to pray for, for all of us to be able to hear what the Lord's saying, okay? Uh, Lord, we thank you for Dr. Evans, and we thank you for um, this word. And I pray that you would inspire us with fresh hope for 2020, because we know you're up to something, and we know your kingdom is expanding and growing, and I pray that you would help our hearts to really believe that. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. All right, so without further ado, Dr. Evans from Movement Day. Well, good afternoon. I am so excited to be invited to be part of this movement day. I got an invitation. It was kind of short and sweet. They called me and asked if I believed in free speech. I said, yes. They said, come give one. So I'm just uh, honored for this privilege and opportunity. <laughs> I am so excited to see so many people from so many different places representing so many ministries who have a common cause, and that is seeing the gospel transform lives and impact communities and cities. It was on August the 14th, 2003, that my wife and I were at the airport in New York, LaGuardia, to catch our flight back to Dallas. We stood in curbside check-in to check in our bags, but the line was not moving. I stepped out of the line to try to find out what was going on because we had a flight to catch and the baggage handler said nothing was working, so everything is stalled at the airport. 
the magnetometers weren't working, the, um, the conveyor belts weren't working, the computers weren't working, nothing was working. Well, we waited and we waited and we waited for hours and hours and hours until finally over the loudspeaker, the statement came, ladies and gentlemen, we are so sorry, LaGuardia is closing down. There had been a power failure in New York's, uh, in, uh, in uh, um, Canada, that it worked its way down the East Coast. And because of that power failure, the airport was not working. No planes in, no planes out. And I, along with thousands of other people, were stuck because nothing was working. We scurried to try to find a hotel room like everybody else. And our travel agent said there's only one hotel room with one room left in the LaGuardia airport and they can only hold a room for you for 10 minutes. So we scurried and caught a cab, drove through dark streets, it's dark now, the street lights aren't working, and we got to the Crown Plaza LaGuardia airport. We walked into a candlelit hotel because no power. We had to check in by hand because the computers weren't working. And we had to go up to a room with a flashlight because there was no power. All we could do was hope that tomorrow would be a better day. But before we turned in, my wife decided to pull back the curtain to see if we could lift up the window to get some air in since the air conditioning wasn't working. And when she pulled back the window, the curtain, that's when we saw it. Immediately across the street from the Crown Plaza LaGuardia was a Marriott Hotel completely lit up. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. We were obviously in the wrong hotel. We made our way back downstairs, crossed the street, because we had to find out how there could be that much light in this much darkness. So we crossed the street, there was music playing, people were standing outside eating. We walked into the foyer of the Marriott Hotel, there were TVs along the foyer with CNN discussing how dark New York was. I wanted to know how could there be that much light in this much darkness. I found the assistant manager and I said, I don't understand, everything is dark. New York is dark, the airport is dark, the houses are dark, no street lights and you are lit up, how can that be? Oh, he said, people have been asking us that all day, and it's fairly simple. When we built this hotel, we built it with a gas generator. So we have power on the inside that's not controlled by circumstances on the outside. We've got something working in that overrules what's not working out. Needless to say, things are dark. In every direction you look at, things are pitch black. In our own country here in America, in the political conflict, the darkness rages. But it is in the midst of this darkness that you and I gather with light, being able to offer in a dark situation a well-lit location. You see, the one thing we get to offer with the gospel is hope. That's why I love a well-lit verse. You know it well, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
I have a plan for you, saith the Lord, a plan for your well-being and not your calamity to give you a future and a hope. I have a plan for you, saith the Lord, a plan for your well-being and not your calamity to give you a future and a hope. Boy, that is a well-lit verse, but it's in a very dark chapter. If you were to read beginning with verse 4 in Jeremiah 29, things are not good. They are in Babylon, a very dark place, a very pagan place, a very anti-Christian place. Their families had fallen apart. Their economics had fallen apart. Their social structure had fallen apart. And they were surrounded by an anti-God, what we would call today a postmodern environment. But in a dark chapter, I still got a well-lit verse. I have a plan for you, saith the Lord, a plan for your well-being and not your calamity to give you a future and to give you a hope. It's not only a well-lit verse in a very dark chapter, it's a well-lit verse in a very dark chapter located in a very dark book. If you're depressed, don't read Jeremiah for devotions. That's not the book you want to read because that's a depressing book. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of judgment, of abandonment, of evil, and of sin. But in a dark chapter located in a dark book, I still got a well-lit verse. I have a plan for you, saith the Lord, a plan for your well-being and not your calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. What is hope? Hope is joyful expectation about the future. Hope means where you're going is better than where you are and where you're coming from. Hope means your tomorrow is going to outpace your yesterday. And when God's people show up and show off with the good news of the gospel and collaborate what God has given them to put light in a dark situation, hopeless people find a, a bright light in their dark chapter that may be bigger because it may be part of a dark book. Their whole background, their whole past, their whole culture may look terribly dark but when God shows up in the midst of his people doing what he has called them to do, they wind up with what the Bible calls hope. You see, hope is always future-oriented. One of the problems that he deals with in that chapter of Jeremiah 29 was bad eschatology. See, some of the preachers were saying, well, you know, things are going to get worse and worse, and, uh, and, uh, and God's going to come back, and he's going to deliver you soon. He says, well, wait a minute. Don't, don't pay attention to that, because you're going to be there for a while. Some people say, well, since things are going to get worse and worse, why should we make all of this effort to do all this collaboration, to have all this impact, if things are going to get worse and worse? It's the same reason you jog, even though you know you're going to die. The reality of death doesn't change your concern about health care. And so he says to a people located in a secular society, I have a plan for you. When you back out of a parking space in your car, you look through the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror shows you what's behind you. You can see what's behind you. But when you're making your way home, you look through a much bigger piece of glass called the windshield. Why? Because where you're going is a lot bigger than where you came from. What God is saying, I have a plan for you. And it's a good plan, and it involves a future, and it involves a hope. What we offer people is hope. We may not be able to immediately change their socioeconomic, housing, educational situation, although all of that should be of concern. But what we can offer them is an anticipatory growth in their future, both in time and eternity, because the good news of Jesus Christ does not only have content, 
where a man or a woman receives eternal life by faith alone in Christ alone, but the good news of the gospel has scope. In other words, it affects all of life. It affects every dimension of life. To be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is to lean to one side. To be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good is to lean to the other side. It is that we are to be so heavenly tethered that we're good for earth. And that earth is better off when the people of God show up. And when things are falling apart as they are worldwide and in our culture, that opens up a great opportunity for the gospel. Because people are looking for hope, they're looking for direction, they're looking for, for guidance, and in the chaos creates the opportunity. Uh, when I was dating my wife, I saw this beautiful girl when we were 18, but I ran into a problem, and that, that is she was not responding at the rate to which I was accustomed. A <laughs> girlfriend was moving a little slow, so I had to help her sister out. And I took her to an amusement park called the Gwyn Oaks Amusement Park in the city I was born and raised in, Baltimore, Maryland. And I, we, 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 went, we went to the amusement park, and uh, they had a roller coaster for two. It was called the Wild Mouse. It had all these big dips in it, but it did something else. It would shoot out like it was going to jump off the track, and then it would turn real fast, real scary. I said, give me two tickets. They gave me two tickets. The wilder the ride got, the closer she got. By the time the ride was over, you thought only one person got on it. Why did I take her through that? Simple, I had a plan for her and it was a good plan. It involved the future and a hope. But I had to create a situation first. And so God in his sovereignty allows cultures and communities and people to have a situation for, first that opens them up to the potentialities of the gospel, which is why he goes on in verses 11 and 12 of Jeremiah 29. He says, and then you will seek me, and then you will call upon me, and then you will search for me, and you will find me when you look for me with all of your heart. In other words, the crisis that they were in was to call attention to the solutions that come from heaven and that have been formulated for history. He tells them, I want you to seek the welfare of the city in which I have placed you. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. I want you to seek the welfare of pagan Babylon. I want pagan Babylon to be a better place to live because my people are located there. Because my people are located there, I know the government's evil, I know the social structures are evil, I know the economics are unfair and unjust, I know that there are all these things wrong in this pagan city in which I have placed you. But as long as I have you there, it should be an improved location because of your presence. So, how can we have all these churches on all these corners with all these preachers and all these members and all these programs and all these buildings and still have all this mess? There's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. What has happened is that we've allowed the church of Jesus Christ to exist for the church of Jesus Christ rather than the church of Jesus Christ existing for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The goal of the church is the kingdom of God. The goal of the church is not the church. 
And when the church misses the kingdom and becomes siloed, when the church refuses to collaborate and come together with those of like faith without compromising any of the essentials, then it dumbs down the power of the impact of the gospel and the presence of God's people in a society. You know, uh, when I was a boy, bowling was very crude, but bowling has become very sophisticated today. Uh, they've got bowling pants, bowling shirt. They got bowling gloves. They've got uh, fancy now bowling balls and fancier bowling bags. And you can look real good as a bowler. You put your three fingers in the ball, you cock the ball, you go down the alley, you spin the wrist, you kick out the leg. You can look real good as a bowler. But if after you roll that ball, it's in the gutter and them pins are still standing, you're a good-looking failure. <laughs> because the test of a bowler is his impact, not his style. God is not looking for style. He's looking for some pins being knocked over because of the impact of his people representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords advancing the kingdom through the church. And that means... He says, in the midst of this decaying culture, Babylon or whatever culture where you minister, I want you to seek the good of that community. I want you to make it a better place to live. And here's how I want you to do that. I want you to bring economic stability. He says, plant vineyards. I want you to bring family stability. I, I know they're redefining the family where you live, but I want you to bring, I want you to give your sons to, your sons to daughters, your daughters to sons, and I want you to reestablish the centricity of family. Then I want you to resist abortion because he says, have children there, do not decrease, but increase. Wait a minute. You want me to promote life in the midst of a decadent society? Absolutely. Because while the pagans are killing their tomorrows, I want you to advance my tomorrows through the replication of children. He says, I would like you to have a social presence. Why? Because when Jesus said that the gospel would be good news to the poor, when he said that the oppressed would be released in Luke chapter 4, and the gospel would be preached unto them, he said it would be called the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, the acceptable year of the Lord is taken from Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 was the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was where God restructured society and brought it back in line with his original intention because after 49 years, things had gotten out of line. And so slavery was in vogue and debts were out of control and land was being misused and it was all kind of madness. He says, but on the year of Jubilee, I am going to reorder society and bring harmony where there was chaos. I'm going to give freedom where there was slavery. I'm going to be a delivering social power in the presence of the community. But the thing that you need to know about the year of Jubilee is that the year of Jubilee could not occur until the Day of Atonement happened first. To put it another way, you had to get right with God before God could get right with culture. You had to get right with God before God could order society in the way it should be. And that's why you and I are unique. 
because we are the only ones who have the message to get the attention of God to make the culture a better place to live, work, raise a family, and have an ordered society. You and I, we, together, kingdom people, collaborating together, bringing good to our communities is the way that we bring hope to decadent societies. God told Jonah, in 40 days, Nineveh would be destroyed. destroyed. Why did he tell them 40 days? Because that was the window of opportunity that they had to save their culture. A culture has a window of opportunity. He told Abraham, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham cut a deal with God because God allows, God's got enough business sense to cut a deal. And God cut a deal with him. He says, if I find 50 righteous, will you, for the sake of the 50, save the 500,000? He said, Abraham, if you find 50, for the sake of the righteous, I will save the 500,000. Well, what about 40? Because he couldn't find 50. God says, okay, if you find 40, I'll save the 500,000. What about 30? Same deal. What about 20? Same deal. I can't find 20. What about 10? He says, if you find 10, I will, I will keep those city oper cities operating if I can get you to collaborate with 10 folk who will agree to come under my authority and my rule. So why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? It wasn't just destroyed because of the unrighteousness of immorality, the unrighteousness of oppression. All of that is described about Sodom and Gomorrah. Those two cities were destroyed also because the righteous couldn't be located. If he would have found 10, God says those cities would still be on the map. So you and I are critical to keep our communities solvent and on the map. If we can find enough folk who are willing to go public for Jesus Christ, who are not ashamed of the gospel in word and deed, who are not secret agent Christians, spiritual CIA representatives, or covert operatives. Everybody else is coming out the closet. We might as well come out too. Everybody else is going public. We might as well go public too. And there ought to be a stand that you have cast your vote for Christ but that vote for Christ is attached to good works. Salt and light that men might see your good works. So people ought to see not only the message of the gospel for the personal forgiveness of sins, but they're to see the benefit of the gospel for the transformation of life and family and culture. And that is why economic development and family development, and that is why education, and that is why why, why the collaboration of the different skills and, and talents come together. In a few weeks, we'll be having our Christ-giving event in Dallas. A whole mall will turn uh, its, its, its premises over. Three to 5,000 people will come to get their Christmas meal and gifts for their children through a collaboration of churches. And out of that, three to 5,000 people will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ they're not coming for the gospel, they're coming for a meal. They're not coming for the gospel, they're coming for toys. But when you come to us for a meal and when you come to us for toys, the gospel you get for free is thrown in and it's non-negotiable. Because that is who we are. That is what we do. We're not just a social service agency. At our church in Dallas, you know, uh, uh, we, 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 yes, we preach the word, we preach the gospel. 
but there's also a thrift store and there's also a food pantry and now we have FedEx and Brinks and all these companies coming to us. Last month we got 300 people jobs. They came to the church because the companies come to the church to hire because they know we'll hold the people accountable who they hire. And because they trust the accountability, they create the opportunity. Because they create the opportunity, we now have a relationship with these hiring agencies. And everybody who gets hired, trust me, when we help you get a job, you open to the gospel because you saw the church involved in the community and so when you bring together the skills and gifts and talents that are located in your sphere of influence and you find out who is the best at doing what and you put the kingdom of God right in the midst of that without compromising any of the essentials then you open up the opportunity even in a pagan world Babylon, to demonstrate what the Word of God can do in using the coming together of the people to impact the culture. And when people see your good works and not merely hear your good words, they are offered not only salvation for eternity, but a better life for history. And that is what collaborations ought to do when you come together in a community. Our big initial initiative through our national ministry, the Urban Alternative, is the National Church Adopt the School Initiative. The reason why the National Church Adopt the School Initiative is our feature focus that we're training churches on across the country. There are 190,000 public schools in America. There are over 350,000 churches. If you can attach one church to one school that provides mentoring, tutoring, and family support services, since every community has churches, schools, and families, you create a dating service where you can not only reach kids, but reach the families. And so if you can reach kids and through them reach the family without creating anything new, since all three already exist in every community, then you can touch every community without creating anything new in the nation because those systems are already there. And you can do it in a way that does not interfere with the separation of church and state. And so we've developed a training program that uh, people can get on the website, or we have a training team that goes around the country. We've got certain cities that have adopted every single school in their community. So if there are 20 schools, 20 churches have adopted it. Then we have racial relationships where a black church and a white church will come together to adopt the same school, because the best way to have racial reconciliation is not through seminars, but through service. You see, when you in a war, you don't care about the color, culture, or class of the man fighting next to you as long as he's shooting in the same direction you do. And we are in a war, and if we can get in the same foxhole, shooting at the same enemy, using the same impact with the power of the same gospel, we can bring hope and help to children and families and therefore well-being to the community. He closes. And I love the way he closes. He says in verse 14, and I will restore your fortunes. When you seek the welfare of the city, socially based on the spiritual, I will restore your fortune. Well, he's talking to his people and his people are in a pagan land. He says, I'm gonna let you see what I can do to you, through you, for you, by you, with you. If I can get you to cooperate in a pagan society. I will restore your, I will give you back 
what you have lacked. One of the great beauties is to see God's Shekinah glory, his manifest presence, re-emerge in the midst of his people. Because get this straight as I shared yesterday. God is not going to skip the church house to fix the White House. God does never skips his people to improve the culture. God looks to see what his people are doing that will influence what he does or does not do. And that's why we have to understand how powerful we are. We are not an addendum. We're the whole show. Because what God decides to do, Ephesians 3.10, God says he checks with the church before he deals with the principalities and powers. So God is not even going to touch out there if he can't get the attention of folk in here. But he says, if I can get the attention and the working together of folk in here, John 17. If I can get the unity of the church, why? Because God is one God composed of three co-equal persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but there's only one Godhead. Like a pretzel with three holes. The first hole is not the second hole, the second hole is not the third hole, but they're all tied together by the same dough. It's just one pretzel, but they've got distinctives. And so the one unified God will never show up where there's illegitimate disunity because he's uncomfortable there because he can't be himself. And so what Satan does is he creates illegitimate disunity to keep God at bay because he knows that God will resist something that is illegitimately disunified. So if in your communities you decide to become a kingdom occupation force to represent the king of kings and the lord of lords, to demonstrate the glory of our great God through good words, the gospel, and good works, the gospel. When people can see that the gospel gets you to heaven and changes your history. And when those two are brought legitimately together, then he restores us and from us, he restores others. You know, in movies that are upcoming, they show you previews of coming attractions. These are the hot clips of the upcoming show. Always the fight scene, the love scene, or the chase scene. Because they want you to tune in so they show you all of the hot clips of the upcoming show. Well, one day, brothers and sisters, there's a big show coming to town. God is the producer. The Holy Spirit is the director. Jesus is the superstar, and it will be a worldwide production. It's called the kingdom of God. One day Jesus will establish his kingdom on this earth and all of history, all of earth will be run under the authority of the risen Lord. But in the meantime, he's left you and me here as previews of coming attractions. We are supposed to be the hot clips of the upcoming show. People are supposed to see the clips that you do in your community, in your community, in your community, and my community. And when people see how hot the clips are, they want to say, where can I buy a ticket to the whole show? Because that's when we can tell them, you don't have to buy a ticket. The price has already been paid. Are you encouraged? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? We're going to take just about five moments, and I want to respond to this. Um, what, were, what were some phrases or words that just stuck out to you, just as you were hearing this, that you might say, man, this, this idea, this phrase, this thought? What's that? 
what first? Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, we're lit up within, right? We have, a, we have a light within that is not dependent on circumstances outside. Come on. Yes. We're the hot clips of coming attractions. Come on, I love that. I love that. I liked when he said that where we're going is bigger than where we're coming from. You know, with fear always makes you diminish the vision. But what the kingdom is, is where we're going is always bigger than where we're coming from. Yes, you got to make an impact. I love that. I love that. It's not about style. It's about impact. That's good. Maybe just a couple more. Come on. It doesn't matter what color or class you are. When we're shooting in the same direction, we're on the same team. Come on. And I like that, too, where he said racial reconciliation comes through serving together, not just a seminar. That's a good word, right? We're serving together. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Well, here's what I want to do. We're just going to take a couple of moments, and I want you to, to allow the Spirit of God, because as we're listening to this message, this is a great word in season, and it was a word that was preached five years ago, and he could have, you feel like he could have preached it 30 seconds ago because it's so on point for what's going on right now, what God's doing. But as we're going into this year, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. So what I want you to do is be thinking, okay, what is something that the Spirit of God would put on my heart right now that just stands out to me? And share it with somebody next to you. So share one with another, just an idea, a thought, a word that you're going, wow, I felt encouraged by or challenged by. And we're just going to pray one for another, and then we'll wrap up with prayer together. So one thought or idea that God has just highlighted to you as we listen to this, share it with a neighbor, pray with one another, and then we'll uh, wrap up together in prayer. So ready? Break. Break.